So uh, as we're starting, uh, as we start this morning, let me ask you, um, if you ever heard of a guy by the name of Tullian Tavijan, uh, he, he is actually back in ministry now. Do you know who Tullian Tavijan is? He's actually the, the grandson of Billy Graham. But um, he has actually lived a life very different from that of his grandfather. He's taken a very different path in life. He, Tullian used to be a, cele- a celebrity pastor of a big mega church in Florida. He was a TV and radio preacher. And uh, he was actually publishing like a book a year uh, on different things until it was discovered in 2015 that he had been having at least two different marital affairs. And suddenly, he was asked to leave his church. His ministry credentials were taken. He was, he was divorced. And he quickly became angry and bitter toward the church and toward most Christian people. He was even angry at God. Because, you see, Tullian's whole identity was wrapped up in all those things that he had lost. He gave up on life. In fact, he planned to take his own life. He was at the absolute bottom when God used one of Tullian's own books that he had written a few years earlier called Jesus Plus Nothing Equals Everything. It's a, story, it's a book that talks about the simple, uncluttered message of Christianity. And the message of grace that he once wrote about so eloquently when his life seemed to be fine and altogether became personal to him and real and life-changing. He started journaling. In fact, he just started pouring out his heart to God in his journal as everything had been stripped away from him. And he did this for about three years when a friend of his uh, was actually, he had actually showed one of, a, a friend of his some of his journaling. And he was reading these things and he was saying, you know what? There are other people who need to read what you're writing. They need to read the struggles that you've been going through and how God's grace has so impacted your life. And he was a computer nerd, and so he's like, can I like, create a blog of some of these journal things that you have been writing? And so he's like, sure, if you think it will help, then do so. And so he started, this guy, friend started putting out these journal entries that he had written over the last three years to help others who were broken. And all of a sudden, Tullian started receiving hundreds of letters from people all over the world, from people who had also failed miserably in life themselves, who had crashed and burned, whether they were Christians or non-Christians. I mean, people were just contacting him like crazy. And Tullian realized that this teaching of grace that had transformed his life over the past three years, once again, was still changing lives of people who were broken just like he was. And people were finding hope in that message of grace. He actually said this. He said, what became immediately clear through these letters is that this world is packed with people just like me. People who live with guilt and shame, regret and sadness because of what they've done or failed to do. People who would do anything to just go back in time and make different choices but are presently plagued by the realization that they can't. People who live in fear that they will never hope again. People who have lost everything and wonder whether they will ever experience joy and peace like they used to. People who battle suicidal thoughts because they'll never outrun or outlive the consequences of their sinful decisions and the people that they have hurt. People who endure the painful, inescapable void of broken relationships. People who struggle with believing that anybody, even God, could love them. 
because they've done so many bad, destructive, and hurtful things. These letters, he said, that he was receiving, and their stories opened my eyes to a world populated by pain. Today, Tolian has a new ministry, one that is reaching out to broken people all over the place, where he is sharing his story and God's plan of grace so that people again can see why faith matters. In fact, some of the links to some of these journal uh, entries you can find in your online sermon notes today, including this one where he's explaining how crazy he thinks it is that God's actually still able to use him despite how messed up and broken his life is. His story reminds me an awful lot of another guy named the Apostle Paul. Paul lived during the time of Jesus, and like Tullian, Paul found himself thinking that he was okay and that he was actually doing God's will Even though Paul was out murdering Christians and becoming a bit of a Jewish celebrity for it. God got a hold of him and broke him. And for three years, it says in scripture, Paul was absent from the world stage in a desert in Arabia. Where God was showing him what grace was all about. Paul came back. A very changed man, proclaiming this same message that has meant so much to Tolian over the last several years. Jesus plus nothing. There's nothing that I can do to earn God's favor. Nothing I can do that will make God love me any more or any less. The message of God's love and grace for everybody, regardless of your story. Now, last week, we started a series called Decluttering Christianity. And we saw how... Christians then, like today, we we tend to add on at times to Jesus' simple message of grace. We see how how easy it is for our own walks with Christ to be a mold or a pattern for other people to follow. And we think, well, these are the things that God's taught me that I'm supposed to do. So I'm sure other people, if they're going to be followers of Christ, they should do those same things. And we don't realize in those moments how damaging those thoughts can be as people are coming to Christ and we're putting our, our ideas, our add-ons, our, our clutter onto their lives. It can actually become stumbling blocks for people to receive God's grace as we have. And today, did you know this? Today, a majority of young adults in America think that it's wrong to share faith with other people. I have to believe it's because of the way God's story and our stories are being shared. So many times when people think about sharing their faith, they think about someone pulling a tract out of their back pocket about hell and talking with them about following this simple formula so so that God will accept them and their lives can all of a sudden be okay again and they can be accepted by God. And for some people, they can hear that message and it doesn't seem personal. It actually can seem offensive or arrogant to them. Maybe, maybe you're like many Christians today and you haven't shared your faith with anyone in months. And maybe you've concluded that you're, if you did, it would just all come off wrong. And so you just don't really share what God has done in your life. I have to tell you, you know, when we are humble, when we are brutally honest about our own brokenness, And how God's love is unconditional. When we share personally what grace means to us. 
and how it can make us into the best version of ourselves, let me tell you, that message is never offensive. It's actually pretty attractive if you think about it. We can share theological propositions all day. We can argue scripture and we can argue philosophy all day long. And we might have someone consider taking a step toward God. But I tell you, when, when someone can look into your life and they can see your brokenness, where they can see what God has done in your life and what God is doing in your life even now, it gives hope. It gives hope that my life can be different as well. Grace becomes real for people through the real stories of broken, grace-filled lives. So I'm going to have us turn back to Galatians this morning. You know, last week we started in the very beginning of that book, uh, Galatians chapter 1. So if you have your Bibles, I'd encourage you to turn with me to Galatians 1, starting in verse 11. Um, if you don't have your Bibles with you, but you have your smartphone or tablet, feel free to click on the Messages tab at MyGrace.Church and you can see the Scriptures there. We're taking a big chunk today, which I'm not going to read through that whole big chunk that's there from 111 down through the bottom of chapter 2, but I'm going to be hitting on some of the highlights for, of that today. Um, so again, if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Galatians chapter 1. I'm going to start by reading to you verse 11 here. It says, Dear brothers and sisters, I want you to understand that the gospel message I preach is not based on mere human reasoning. I'm going to stop there a minute. If you were here last week, do you remember uh, why he was sharing this. Do you remember why Paul was getting a little bit defensive about how he had shared the good news with all those people in Galatia that he had gone to? Because remember last week I was sharing with you, Paul had traveled with his friend Barnabas to this region that's now in Turkey called Galatia. And they, he was sharing the good news of grace with people there. And they were coming to Christ and he was planting churches all over Galatia. And then Paul left. And what happened? You remember? These people came in, right, from, from outside of Galatia, and they started trying to fix Paul. They started trying to fix his message, and they were going around to all these brand new churches in Galatia, and they're like, you know what, I'm sure you appreciate what Paul, what Paul has shared with you, but he didn't have it right, actually. He, he left out some stuff. There's more to Christianity than just this grace message. You also need to do these things, and they started ripping out their list, their add-ons, their, their clutter. And so Paul got really upset and frustrated because he's like, you start doing that. You start adding to the good news and it isn't good anymore. It becomes about you then and what you, could, what you can do to please God. And he's like, that is not the gospel, right? And so here in verse 11, he's, he's still in this place where he's trying to defend himself. Because actually, when these, he calls them Judaizers. When these Judaizers showed up in Galatia, they were actually discrediting Paul. They were like, you know what? Was he really an apostle? Because we don't think his message was right. And they were, they were questioning Paul's life and his walk with God in front of these other people. Now, Paul, when he's writing this letter, he could start just going into this long theological argument, right? He could start explaining why all this stuff that these Judaizers were saying was wrong, trying to clear up you know, point by point the things that they had been sharing. But notice what he does. After this initial greeting that we covered last week, what we're seeing this week is that he's actually, he's not going into some theological argument so much as he's telling his own story. A story of how God gave him what he didn't deserve and how that grace that he received in his life changed everything for him. Paul's 
broken past he's sharing. It's part of his grace-filled story. And he tells it over and over again uh, to the Galatians and in the other letters that he writes. Look at verse 13. He says, You know what I was like when I followed the Jewish religion. How I violently persecuted God's church. He said, I did my best to destroy it. I was far ahead of my fellow Jews and my zeal for the traditions of my ancestors. But even before I was born, God chose me and he called me by his marvelous grace. Then it pleased him to reveal his son to me so that I would proclaim the good news about Jesus to the Gentiles. Paul's like, listen, I know I'm a screwed up mess. <laughs> he says, I, I was so lost, I was killing Christians, and I thought I was doing God a service. He was so wrapped up in religious zeal of doing all these things to be pleasing to God that he was doing things that wasn't pleasing to God. He actually says here in Galatians and also in some of his other letters, he says, there wasn't anybody who was more zealous than me. There wasn't anybody around who was more religious than I was. He says, I was, I was fasting, I was tithing, I was studying the Jewish scriptures. All this stuff to be acceptable, to be pleasing to God. And he says, then I realized that it was all empty and meaningless. All of it. And then he goes on for several more verses here in chapter 2 telling more of his story. He doesn't just tell his past story of brokenness. But he also tells his present story of brokenness as well. Look, look, go, flip over to chapter 2 and look at verse 19. He says, For when I tried to keep the law, it condemned me. So I died to the law. I stopped trying to meet all of its requirements so that I might live for God. My old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live. But Christ lives in me. So I, I live now in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not treat the grace of God as meaningless. For if keeping the law could have made us right with God, then there would have been no need for Christ to die. So he's saying, if we're trying to earn God's approval in any way, we treat the cross, we treat the grace of God is meaningless. But please note here, please note, Paul's not now saying, but now my life is all together. Now my life is fixed. Now my life is great. Everything's just fine. Just, just do what I do. And, you'll, no, and he's basically saying, I'm still broken. I'm still messed up. And that God is still very much working on him, sanctifying him and trying to make him more like Jesus. He says, I have to crucify myself daily. Paul admits his ongoing messed upness, if I can make that a word. And that his old messed up life still needs to be nailed to the cross with Christ every single day. God's grace doesn't ignore all these sinful desires in us that keep popping up over and over again. God, God's grace gives us the power to change, to, to crucify those things bit by bit by bit every day. Now, many years later, at the end of his life, Paul wrote a letter to the church of Rome. By the way, I haven't mentioned this before, but when you look at the New Testament, it's not like these letters are in chronological order. They're not. Galatians was actually the oldest one of Paul's letters, and Romans 
was probably one of the it may have been the actual last letter he wrote at the end of his life. Um, they're just arranged this way because they went from the longest letters to the shortest ones. That's, that's how it was decided. I don't know why, but that's the way it was decided. So when you look at Romans, you actually see at the end of Paul's life, he's not saying, but now, you know, in Galatians, when, when I wrote Galatians, my life was still pretty messed up. But now, thank the Lord, it's much, much better. Now, look at what he says in Romans at the end of his life. He says, I know that nothing good lives in me. He says, I want to do what's good, but I don't. He's not writing this at the beginning of his Christian journey. He's writing it at the end. He says, I don't want to do what's wrong, but I do it anyway. And he talks about how frustrated he is about himself. But then he says in verse 25, thank God there is an answer and it ain't me. It's Jesus. Jesus is the answer. Paul still sees that even after all that he's done for God, his present brokenness, his present faults and struggles are still very much a part, an important part of his story. And this is where we start to see this important distinction between justification and sanctification. Now, I promised you guys last week I'd do a little bit of a, of a, le- of a lesson here on those two wor- churchy words that maybe it, some, they mean something to some of you. Maybe you're like, what are they? I don't know what that means. Well, let me just kind of explain to you in a nutshell what these two words mean because they're really, really important to our faith journey. Justification or being justified is what happens in a moment when we accept God's gift of grace. We acknowledge how broken we are, we surrender and we accept that that we need God's grace and we ask for it in our lives. And in an instant, in an instant, we're justified. And it becomes, it's, in God's eyes, it's just as if I'd never sinned. That, that, that decision to surrender, that decision to accept God's gift of grace, it happens in a moment in time and when it happens, it changes everything in your life. You may think, well, I don't really feel different. But you are very, very different. That moment in time changes more in your life than any, what you could possibly imagine. In that moment, we recognize that it's not because we deserve God's grace or that we earned it in some way. There isn't a single thing that you can do to earn God's love, God's favor, God's grace. And there isn't a single thing you can do to lose his favor as well. It's all a gift. So that's justification. It's something that happens in a moment in time. When you accept Christ. But sanctification is very, very different. It's something that doesn't happen in a moment in time. Sanctification is a, a very long process. That for us is a roller coaster of obedience and disobedience in our lives. Where we have these ups and downs. And we're, we draw closer to God and then we fall away from God. On this journey to try to become more and more like Christ. As we learn from our mistakes what it means to be children of God and to love God and to love others. And that that's process of sanctification, do you know when it ends? When you're dead. That's when it ends. Would you put this illustration on the screen? I'm, I was going to try to draw this, but I'm not a very good drawer, so I thought I'd just stick it on the screen for you. This is kind of what Paul is describing here. Let me explain this. You see these three sections here? This first section at the bottom is... Basically, a person's life before Christ, B.C. That section at the top in gray is that, that time in your life after you die if you are a follower of Christ. But that, that big fat line just under the cross, that line is justification. It's something that happens in a moment in time when Paul describes 
before justification that we were slaves to sin. We couldn't do anything to earn God's favor. We, we couldn't even break out of the simple patterns of our lives. There's nothing we could do about it. He says we were bound by sin. But when we, so our, Christian, our non-Christian lives go until that point when we accept the cross of Christ. When we accept God's gift of grace. And then we start this sanctification process. And that whole big section there in the middle is sanctification. Now, one of the things I don't like about this illustration, if I would have been drawing it, you see how that line, it's got a few little tiny squiggles in it, but it keeps going up and to the right. I don't know about you, my life ain't like that. If I were drawing my life, it would be looking more like this. Hopefully it's going up more than it's going down, but that's not my life. Maybe it is yours. But what it's trying to reflect is that this sanctification process isn't this nice, smooth path that we're on. We, we, we fail, we fail miserably at times, and we go up and down in our faith. But that line just before the gray where it says death, that's where sanctification turns into glorification. That's when we don't have to work at, at trying to become more Christ-like anymore because in an instant we become what Christ has fully realized for us to be. Now, many Christians mistake that this process in the middle, this sanctification process is about us. We might freely admit that this process of, 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 being, of being justified or accepting Christ's gift, that we couldn't, we couldn't earn that. But then somehow we start to think, but okay, from now on, it's up to me. I've got I to work really hard, and I've got to make myself better. And what we see from Paul is that you can't even do that well on your own. It's that whole process of sanctification, it's initiated by God's Spirit, by the Holy Spirit living in you. And it takes God's Spirit every step of the way to even make you want to change, just to be honest with you, and to make me want to change. So, with that said, let me ask you a question. Why would we ever try to present ourselves as Christians who are more or less have our lives fixed and all together? Why would we gloss over our present brokenness and give others around us, whether they're Christians or non-Christian, the impression that our lives aren't still filled with the daily struggles of trying to become more Christ-like? Throughout Paul's life, he shows people his whole story. He points to his past brokenness, but in the same breath, he points to his present brokenness over and over again. I mean, look at this, look at the message translation of Galatians 2. I love this. Paul's, I love how this is written. It says, Paul says, if I was trying to be good, I would be rebuilding the same old barn that I tore down. I would be acting as a charlatan. What actually took place is this. I tried keeping rules and working my head off to please God, and it didn't work. I have been crucified with Christ. And then notice this section here I've highlighted My ego is no longer central. It's no longer important that I appear righteous before you or have your good opinion. And I'm no longer driven to even impress God. Listen, there are two things about your story that make God shine. There are two things about your story that makes God irresistible to others. Number one, what God did for you in the past, if you were a follower of Christ, in spite of the brokenness of your past, that, that's the justification part. But also what God is doing in you, despite you sometimes, 
That's your present brokenness that's making you a better person, that's making you more Christ-like. And that is the sanctification process. But you know what? When I hear people share their stories of faith, what I oftentimes hear is number one with no number two. I hear people share about how messed up their lives were, how they were just a train wreck, and they have all these things that they can share about, how just bad their lives were. And most of you could probably do the same thing with your life. I know I certainly could. And they share about how God's grace came in and changed them and it's made them new and how everything has changed for them in lives, in their lives. And then they, they, they stop there. And I'm like, no, don't stop. Because what happens is when we're sharing that with other people who are non-Christians, what they hear is, without, whether it's intentional or not, what they're hearing is, but now my life's great. And yours will be too if you just follow these simple steps and you accept Christ in your life, right? And there, there are people looking at us and like, really? You expect me to believe that? I mean, that doesn't, that doesn't, re- doesn't seem real, does it? It's, it's actually a turnoff. Grace, though, becomes real for people through the real stories of grace-filled lives, past and present. When we share what God has done in our lives, may we not just talk about the things we did, but may we share the brokenness of our own lives even now and how God in His mercy and grace is working even through our own brokenness. Let me ask you, are you are, do you ever struggle with sharing your faith with others who aren't Christian? I used to struggle a lot because I used to work really hard at trying to sell Jesus to people. And I had a really good presentation. I mean, I had it mapped out in a little note in my Bible. I could whip it out. I tried to memorize it. You know, here are the steps. You, know, you just do these things and you're good. And that never worked for me. I would try to share that story with people and it was actually a turnoff. I actually turned myself off when I would do that. And then I realized something. God showed me something. God showed me, Dave, your story isn't just about what I did. Your story is about what I'm doing. Your story is about being honest and transparent and humble before people and helping them to see that you don't have your life all together now. And that's okay. Now, you might hear this and say, but Dave, you don't really struggle that much anymore, right? I mean, you're a pastor. You've worked through all that stuff, right? Right. Are you kidding me? There are so many parts of my life that are still broken. Don't, please don't go grab my wife at the end of the service and start asking her questions because she could give you an earful. But my, my testimony is a never-ending source of brokenness. I, I can think back even this week, about how impatient I can be, how judgmental I can be. I mean, God, you may not realize this, but the reason all this construction is going on on Latoya Boulevard, it's not to just expand Latoya. It's God's way of working on me and my patience and my judgmental spirit. I, it's like every day, it, does, it doesn't change. I'm like, God, have mercy on me. When is this going to ever change? I get to that 15-mile-an-hour zone, and I'm like, oh, please, can we speed it up a little bit? And for those of you, it seems like for me, I don't know what it is, but everybody in this town either drives way too slow or they drive like idiots. There's no in-between, right? And though, for those of you who feel like you need to stop in the, to, to make a right turn in the middle of a busy street, Lord have mercy on you. Lord have mercy on me because you drive me insane, right? And it's not just 
this judgmental spirit and this impatience that I have on the road. I have it in so many areas of my life. It just frustrates me. Oh, it frustrates me. How I respond to my family at times, how I respond to my staff at times, I, I still laugh at the irony that God uses me so many times to help struggling marriages so often when mine is so often struggling too. With all the times that I'm not communicating enough or the right way. With all the times that I'm reacting to Teresa not meeting all my expectations. I see all the ways that I fall short over and over again as a leader and as a pastor. And it just, it just frustrates me to no end. I see how my, messed up my life is at times. And I can't tell you how many times. It's been probably thousands of times I've said to God, God... Would you please just take me out of all this? Just stick me in a corner somewhere where I can't really negatively impact or influence people anymore. And I'm saying it genuinely. And over and over again, God has told me, David, I am not looking for a perfectly, fully capable, picture-perfect pastor for Grace Community Church. Sorry, you're stuck with me. But I want someone who sees and understands how broken he is and doesn't hide from it. But he leads through it. That's really hard. It would, be, it would be so much easier for me as an introvert if I was just stuck in a corner somewhere. And maybe I could write a little bit, but I don't really have an ability to influence a lot of people. Because when I, see, when I hear myself speaking, and when I see how... I just, I just realize over and over again how much I need God's grace. I say that because of this. Grace gets real for people when they see people's lives have been really changed by grace. When people can hear you share your story and what God has done in your life, and not just what He has done, but what He is doing in your life, that is powerful. You know, I may not know a whole lot about your story. But if you're a follower of Jesus, here's what I do know. You have an incredibly valuable story. God has done some amazing things in your life. And he still is. And those stories need to be shared. Whether you like it or not, God is going to continue to put people in your path who need to hear those stories. And you can keep running, you can keep hiding them, you can keep saying, God, send someone else, don't use me. He's going to keep giving you these opportunities because he knows the value in your story and what he's done in your life. It is powerful. Don't underestimate what God has done in your life. It's significant. I don't need to know your story to know my God and how, well, how he works in people's lives. Tolian Trevigian realizes today that even his messed up life is a life that God can use. And he says it's more powerful than ever because in this fake Facebook and Instagram world where people are starving for real honesty and transparency, his message about how broken and messed up his life is actually gives people hope. Recently, he put this on his blog. He said, acknowledging the worst parts of me is never easy. 
it's embarrassing. <laughs> he says, every time I stand up in front of a crowd and say that I have cheated on my first wife, I cringe. It's extremely uncomfortable admitting that stuff in front of a group of people. When I talk about the hurt that I caused my family, my friends, my church, and countless others because I was too full of myself to care about anyone more than me, I squirm. And then he said, confessing in a public setting those things I wish no one ever knew about me is not fun. It's horribly awkward. But I don't know of any better way to show people that it's when we admit the worst parts of us, I love this, that we see the best parts of God. And then he says, I don't believe that God allows people to fail and fall so that they will be forever silent. I believe he allows these things and brings about repentance so that we will speak more loudly and more clearly and humbly of our sin and his grace than ever before. And then he says, this just isn't a calling for us pastors. This is a calling for all of us as Christians. And then he closed his blog by saying, regardless of what I end up doing professionally, I will spend the rest of my life telling people about the amazing grace of God that saves wretches like me. Listen, those parts of your life that were messy and still are messy, don't underestimate the value those have when they are told and share with other people, especially those who haven't experienced the grace of God yet themselves. That's powerful stuff that God allows us to enter in with him to be able to impact the lives of other people. Those parts of you that you're too ashamed to disclose, those parts of you that you still hate, (laughs) those parts of you that doubt, that are dark and twisted, come on, you know they're there that are embarrassing, that are painfully insecure. They don't, those things don't downplay the grace of God. They showcase God's grace. If you let them. If you let God do that through you. It is, after all, in our weakness that God shows others His strength, His love, and His grace. Would you pray with me? Lord, I am uh, really grateful that I can, for this season of my life, be this pastor to this amazing group of people. Because this is a group of people that puts up with my inadequacies, my shortcomings, my failures. Lord, it is so frustrating to me that I can't fix myself. That I can't make myself into the what I know you want me to be but lord that's what this sanctification process is all about isn't it it's a journey that lasts our entire lives it never ends just when we think we've got it all together we realize how messed up we are once again but that process lord is one where you never leave us where you're walking with us and whether we see it or not we are becoming more christ-like if we just get out of the way Lord, I pray for every person in this room who struggles with their own brokenness, who struggles with their own feelings of inadequacy and failure and doubt. God, I pray that like Paul, we would learn to crucify those things 
over and over again every single day and remind ourselves that it's not about us, but it's about what you've done and what you are still doing in our lives, sometimes despite us. Lord, in those times when we're weak, we pray that you would make us strong. If you're here today, with every head bowed and every eye closed, if if you're here today and you've never accepted this gift of grace that God is offering you, even still today, I just want to encourage you to trust God. God isn't trying to make you perfect. He's not trying to make your life miserable. God has an adventure in store for you in your life that you can't possibly imagine. And he's waiting. He's waiting on you to simply say yes. To open the door of your heart and allow him in. And allow him to do the heavy lifting for you. You don't need to clean yourself up to follow him. He says simply come. Come with your brokenness. Come with your hurt. Come with your pain. And let's walk this journey together. If that's you this morning and you are ready to offer your heart to God or recommit your heart to Him because you've once made that commitment but you kind of walked away from it for a season and you're feeling frustrated with yourself, no need. Just come back and receive God's grace once again. Pray this prayer with me in the silence of your heart. Heavenly Father, I thank You for bringing me here today and helping me to understand what grace is all about. Lord, I know that you want to do a lot of things in and through me, even despite me. Lord, I thank you for how much you love me and you've accepted me even when I was unlovely and unacceptable. God, I ask that you would come into my heart even now. That you would forgive me of all of my sins, all the ways I have broken your heart. And Lord, that you would remove those things as far away from me as the east is from the west. God, I ask as I, as I confess that you are my God and my Savior, I ask that you would come into my heart and begin to change me. That you would begin this sanctification process that Dave talks about. And help me to be more like you. And to be able to live into this adventure in life that you've prepared for me. A life filled with joy and promise and hope in, future, in a future. In Jesus' name, amen.